prayers everywhere. It happens, of course, Sunday mornings in our church services, religious activities. It happens in homes, at the dinner table, or next to a child's bedside. It happens on the playing field, in the huddle, in the locker room, up in the stands. It happens in the waiting room, the doctor's office. It happens on college campuses, especially during finals week. Now, I was thinking about, about our family's practices of, of prayer. I grew up praying before every meal and after. Uh, there were prayers that we said together, like the Lord's Prayer. There were prayers that we were taught to say alone. Uh, in, in the public school that I attended, we often prayed at school activities. We prayed during times of crisis. We prayed for people that we knew that were struggling. In our family of four, uh, we've always made it a practice to pray in the car before we would take a long trip. And Deb and I still do that today. About seven in ten Christians in our country, it's about, let's say, 68% say that they pray daily outside the religious services. And then an additional 22% say that they pray weekly or monthly. Even 37% of the religiously unaffiliated say they pray at least monthly, the studies have shown. And 75% of Americans believe that prayer is an important part of daily life. Prayer has been associated with a variety of emotional benefits, such as bringing comfort during crisis, peace in the midst of, of struggle, or helping to resolve conflict in relationships. Prayer makes us nicer, studies say, and helps keep our anger in check, makes us more willing to forgive, increases trust, acts as a, as a stress buffer. There's a growing body of evidence indicating that prayer is beneficial for society and for individuals. Now, some faith groups, they pres- uh, prescribe specific sorts of prayers for certain events, certain times of the day, while others encourage members to uh, spontaneously strike up conversations with God throughout the day. For some Prayer is intensely personal and private, while others find comfort in praying with their family or with other people. But praying in public, out loud, is still listed as one of the top fears of many people. You agree? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Well, the parables that I chose for this morning are about prayer. And there's two of them, uh, two stories that Jesus told about prayer. So I want to start with Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13. This is what it says. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend. And you go to him at midnight and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. 
A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and, and I have no food for, to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers. Don't bother me. The door's locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So, I say to you, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who, who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Then the second parable. Just a few pages later, Luke chapter 18, the first seven verses. Then Jesus told His disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? In the first parable, it's midnight. In this tiny first century Galilean village and from inside this small mud brick house, we hear the soft sounds of slumber. And suddenly, there comes this raucous banging at the door. And a loud voice calls out, Friend! Friend! And with friends like that, who needs enemies, right? Friend! Says the door banger. Can I borrow some bread? A buddy of mine just dropped in unexpectedly. I've got nothing to feed him. And that is a social catastrophe in the Middle East where, where hospitality is so important. And a sleepy, irritated voice from in the house says, Don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are bad. I can't get up and give you anything. 
Knock it off. It's late. We're sleeping. I'm not getting up. Go away. Leave me alone. But the man doesn't go away. He sticks to that doorstep like gorilla glue. Keeps banging at the door. Friend! Buddy! Pal! Come on! Help me out! Second parable. It's just as memorable. We have this persistent woman, a widow, who comes every day to this judge demanding justice. Every time the, the judge turns around, there she is in his face, complaining, pleading, pestering. Her hen peccary, I just made that word up. Her, her hen peccary knows no limit. She's not going to take no for an answer. But the judge, the judge, he's, he's arrogant, he's aloof. Jesus calls him unjust. Like so many important men, he's protected by the power of his office, his title. He sealed himself off from the, the harsh realities of the world. This woman, she's got a good case, but he keeps putting her off. Case postponed until next month. Memorable stories. Actually, I think they're kind of funny. Am I allowed to say that about Jesus' parables? Actually, I can imagine the disciples smirking when Jesus said, Is the awakened sleeper going to get, get up because the man at the door is his friend? No, he's not. The sleeper's going to get up because this guy at the door is a world-class pain in the neck. He's bold. He's, he's shameless. He won't go away. The sleeper will eventually get up and give him what he wants, not out of friendship, but because he's an irritating pest. Right? And in the second parable, does the judge finally give the widow what she wants because... Her case is just? No. He gives her what she wants because she's a nuisance. A human mosquito that keeps buzzing around him and won't go away. Here's our one paraphrase. Says what the judge said. I don't, I care nothing what God thinks, even less what people think. But because this widow won't quit badgering me, I better go do something and see that she gets justice. Otherwise, I'm going to end up black and blue by her pounding. You know, some scripture passages are hard to understand. We're not quite sure of their meaning. But there's no mistaking the message of these two parables. The Bible just comes right out and tells us. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Always pray. Don't give up. If some grouchy sleepyhead will answer a midnight knock on the door just to get some peace, how much more will God open the door to his daughters and his sons and respond to their need? If an unjust judge will hear the nagging plea of a poor widow, how much more readily 
will God hear the pleas of His children? When it comes to prayer, Jesus says, don't give up. Be like the bothersome neighbor. Be like the irritating widow. Be bold, shameless, urgent, undaunted, undiscouraged. Don't take no for an answer. But the truth is, not many of us pray that way, right? Our prayers are more like uh, quarters in a slot machine. If we don't hit the jackpot after a couple of tries, we, we give up. But the Bible says that if we mean to hear our prayers answered, we must pray with, with persistence and with perseverance. And I wonder why. Really. Why does God need us to be persistent? Is He overworked? Understaffed? Hard of hearing? Doesn't He care about us? Why must we keep asking over and over again? Will God give us something on the 50th request that He wouldn't give us on the 49th? Is that how it works? Why do we have to keep asking? What's the delay? Why must we we cry a tub full of tears before God hears? We don't know the whole reason. I think the part of it is that prayer is a discipline. Which means that it has something to teach us. And we have something to learn from it. Some years ago, there was this popular devotional that was published called The School of Prayer. And prayer is a school. And here are some of its classes. First of all, there's there's class 101. Wisdom. Sometimes our prayers aren't very wise. And if granted, they would be harmful to us and to others. To paraphrase Jesus in Luke 11, if your child asked for a scorpion, would you give them one? If they asked for a poisonous snake, would you give them one? If you then know how to keep harmful gifts from your children, how much more will your heavenly Father keep harmful gifts from you? We had a neighbor once, a good person, who I believe tried really hard every day to live out her Christian faith. And she prayed a lot. And she told us about her prayers. And one of the most memorable was the new high-end luxury car that she believed God wanted to give her. And she prayed for it every day. I'm not making this up. She didn't get that car. Now, was that a wise prayer? I don't know. I've got an opinion, but I don't know. What I do know is that the vehicle that she was already driving was very nice and seemed to serve her family very well. And and so did the other three nice cars that they had. There's also commitment, class 102. In the school of prayer. 
Now, when needy people came crying to Jesus, he often asked them, what do you want? And at first glance, that seems like a monumentally insensitive question. And there's a blind person or a, or a, a cripple or a leper standing there. Well, what do you think that they want? But it's not always easy to clarify and to specify or to articulate what you want, is it? We become frustrated with with children and adolescents because they don't know what they want sometimes. Right, parents? When I graduated from college, I spent a few years working as an admissions counselor for my alma mater. And I visited with hundreds of high school students about their college plans. I also talked to a lot of their parents. And a good percentage of them expected their sons and daughters to know exactly what they wanted to get out of a college education. And they would grow irritated sometimes when their kids didn't have the slightest idea. But the truth was that most students changed their majors, their minors, their career direction on an average about five times during their four years in college. And even after that, many still didn't have a clue what they wanted to be when they grew up. But many adults don't know either. Some of you are still trying to figure it out. When I listen to my own prayers, I'm surprised sometimes at how rambling and unfocused they are. It's as though I don't know what it is that I want. But as we relentlessly persist in prayer, again and again, over and over, our desires become intensified, become simplified, become clarified. And finally comes that moment when the words we pray begin to say the same thing. And I believe it's to that that clear, focused desire that God responds. But getting there takes a commitment to prayer. C.S. Lewis is the author of the widely read children's series, The Chronicles of Narnia. In 1993, there was a, a movie that was released called Shadowlands that tells Lewis's story, focusing in particular on his relationship with his wife, Joy. Just before they married, Joy was diagnosed with cancer. In the movie, we get to witness their love, their pain, their grief, their struggles with, with faith and with God. And eventually, joy dies. And at one point in the story, a friend asks or says to C.S. Lewis, I know how hard you've been praying. And now God is answering your prayers. And Lewis replies, But that's not why I pray, Harry. I pray because I can't help myself. 
I pray because I am helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time. Waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God. It changes me. A commitment to persistent prayer changes us. We discover what it is that we truly need and desire. And then there's class 103, humility. Persistently praying reminds us of who God is and who He is not. God is your Father, not your slave. He is not some cosmic bellhop, not some genie in a bottle who comes running whenever we rub a magic lamp. Again and again, the book of Psalms says in the Bible, I will wait upon the Lord. I will wait upon the Lord. When we wait on the Lord in prayer, we learn humility. We learn patience. We learn that God is the creator of time itself. We discover, as Annie Dillard wrote, that how we live our days is how we live our life. You know, maybe it's humility that God wants to teach us in the school of prayer. And the final class is submission. Now this is this is the hardest class of all. Actually, it's a, it's a master's level course. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he died, Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed repeatedly to be delivered from death. And his request was denied. Finally, even Jesus, the Son of God, had to submit to his Father's will, saying, not my will, but your will be done, Father. I know of no other way to say this. There may come a time when God makes it very clear to us that some cherished desire is not going to be fulfilled. That our will is not His will. A sick loved one isn't going to get well. The child you so desperately want isn't going to be conceived. The job gets offered to somebody else. The person you love chooses someone else. The family member you pray for 
every day just drifts further and further away from God and from you. You don't get the car of your dreams. I've experienced that many times. And I know I will again. And doggone it, it's a hard, hard place to be. There are times when God makes it clear to us that our desires are not going to be fulfilled. But until He makes it clear, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep knocking. Prayer is a discipline. And it's got something to teach me. And I've got something to learn from it. We believe that God, God is a good, good Father. Don't we? We sing it so often together on Sunday mornings. And we believe that God is for us. And that God is with us. We've learned that, haven't we? You look at Jesus throughout the gospel stories. Hearing the, healing the sick and the lame and the lepers. Do you... Does, do you ever hear him say to anyone, sorry buddy, but I can't heal you. You know, leprosy is God's plan for your life. We can't even imagine him saying that, can we? I know that God wants the best for me and for you. And I'm not going to surrender to suffering and brokenness as though they represent God's good plan for my life. But I will also try not to confuse my will with His will. And when I recognize His will for my life, I'm going to do my best to surrender to it. God is a good, good Father. Please, believe that He's got something good for you. And for those you love. And keep asking for it. You know, some teachings are fun to share with you. Uh, this isn't necessarily one of them. And for some of you, it probably hasn't been fun to listen to. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, it says that the Hebrew high priest wore this costly shoulder garment called an ephod which hung over his heart. And this, this breastplate was studded with these precious stones. And they each bore a name, the name of one of the twelve tribes of Israel. So the priest literally carried the people on his heart when he went to pray before the Lord. Some of us, we wear an ephod. We carry someone's name right on our heart when we pray. We've persisted in prayer 
for days and for months, even for years. Prayer that was wise, prayer that was focused, prayer that was committed. But our prayers seemingly have failed. Unanswered prayer is a dark mystery. And God save us from well-meaning preachers and teachers who offer trite answers to dark mysteries. But in the center of the darkness, behind the mystery, shines this bright message from Jesus about persistent prayer. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find, and knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, will find. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. You know, if a dead, tired neighbor and a hard-boiled judge will respond to determined requests, why wouldn't your heavenly Father? Let's pray. Father, you must have wanted us to pray to make our desires known to you because again and again in the Bible you tell us to pray. And you give us every reason to believe that our prayers will be heard and that it pleases you to answer our prayers. So there must be times then when, when our will is not your will. Help us to believe that your will for us is perfect. Help us to want your will in all things, even when it means surrendering what we want. Put in our hearts, put on our lips the words of Jesus. Not my will, but your will be done.